Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And yes, welcome to another edition of Women Around the World. I have to say, it's probably one of my favorite things to do is to research all these amazing women. Mm -hmm. But I do want to put a trigger warning, nothing big or significant, but uh, the woman we're about to talk about did experience some physical abuse as a child. And so we are mentioning a couple of things here that might be hard to uh, hear, but uh, it's not too detailed. There's not too many things. And her story is fascinating. But just to go ahead and put that up there, if you don't already know who she is. But before we jump into that, Annie, did you have any aspirations in being in the medical field? I did. I absolutely did. Oh, tell me about this. Yeah. um, I know I've told the story before of like in third grade where we had that like career day where you would come in and give a presentation on what career you wanted. I remember people did like a tornado chaser or a dancer and I come up and I had a picture of Ebola and I was like, I want to cure this one day. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I would have rather seen you dress up as Ebola. (laughs) You're right. It's a missed opportunity. Um, And I kept that picture. In fact, like when I graduated high school in the front of my like binder, I had the picture of Ebola as a reminder. And then when I was in high school, I took the health track. So I worked at a a local retirement home and I worked briefly at a hospital. I really, really wanted to to help people. But then sexism, Samantha, I got in my head that like doctors, women that couldn't do math very well. So I, I dropped out of calculus. I just got really insecure that I wasn't good enough to do it. And then I was like, and I could kill someone if I make a mistake. So I backed, I backed out of it, uh, unfortunately. And I was also told, I think I've, I've said this on the podcast before, because uh, I wanted to be a surgeon for a minute. And I like mentor, did a whole mentor thing with the surgeon. And he, he said I had too many shakes. Couldn't do it. Yeah. I know so. that's a big thing. Yeah, you're a little shaky, but so am I. So I don't think I would have been good at it either. But I did have uh, aspirations of being the medical missionary uh, way back when that I would go around. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to physically help to travel around the world and, you know, help different organizations. I really thought I would do that. And this is when I was, Mm -hmm. I think, in early high school. And then I realized very quickly how little I liked chemistry. (laughs) Like, I liked biology. I liked anatomy. That was all fine. And then chemistry happened. I was like, this is is the worst. Who's doing this to me? (laughs) So I, I decided to back down. But we are talking about a woman who knew also early on that she wanted to be in the medical field, and she has become pretty iconic in the nursing world. And we are talking about Dame Elizabeth Anyanwu, who has been featured on the BBC 100 Women list. And she is a groundbreaking nurse from the UK who has made a huge impact in the medical field. Dame Anyanwu was the first specialist in sickle cell and thalassemia. Her life story has been and continues to be an inspiration to so many. Uh, And to say the least, she is a woman of strength and tenacity. 
Dame Aninwu was born in 1947 in Birmingham, UK, to Mother Mary Furlong, um, who came from a strict, devout Irish Catholic family. And though their grandparents thought that they could take in Dame Aninwu and try to pretend she was their daughter, it was said that because Aninwu was biracial, that changed their plans, and she was placed in the care of a children's home. Her mother did visit her and stayed in her life, but she went on to finish her studies at Cambridge, leaving Aninwu in the home. Her father was a student in Cambridge and had left Nigeria to study law at the time he met Anyin Wu's mother, Mary. Anyin Wu would not meet him until later. Anyin Wu's experience within the children's home was a difficult one. Being the only child of color there, she experienced a lot of bullying and isolation. Um, and in one interview, she spoke about how she would be teased by the other children. And she stated at one point, she tried to scrub her face and arms over and over again with carbolic soap so she could lighten her skin, uh, which caused her to exacerbate her eczema. Um, which would cause many issues later on. In fact, she also spoke of how the nurses at the children's home didn't really help her ease her pain when it came to her eczema, but um, how they often would be careless and just rip the bandages off during treatment, causing her skin to be ripped off with the bandages. Also, it was during this time that she met a nursing nun, uh, and she described how she, for the first time, saw a nun dressed all in white. And when she was being treated, this nurse would often show compassion and caring and would try to distract her so that Aninwu wouldn't notice the pain as much. And it was through this nurse who showed so much compassion and love and just caring that she realized that nursing was something she would be interested in later on in her life. Yes, but her time as a young girl was hard. She talked about her experiences and being shamed for bedwetting and the overall harshness and how she was disciplined by the nuns. She would later be able to return home with her mom and her stepfather, but would endure physical abuse from her stepfather and later went on to live with her grandparents until she was 16. At 17, Anyan Wu applied to different London teaching hospitals and was rejected many times, which was due a lot to the level of racism and bias towards her. However, she was eventually accepted to Paddington General as a student nurse. And with her overall experience of continued discrimination and her strength as a survivor, she was not one to sit silently by when she saw something that she believed to be unjust in the treatment of people around her. She talked of how, as a student, she would see families labeled as as new commonwealth. And when she asked what that meant, she was told everything from people with foreign names or people like you, dear. And those are quotes. And with that, realizing that funding had been given to treat many people who were migrants from Africa, Asia, and other countries for services specific to these communities, except there were no actual services available. When she raised these issues, challenging her supervisors about the treatment of the marginalized community, they failed her, like, you know, passing grade, to not pass the grade. <laughs> um, but she was able to appeal due to others who supported her. Right. And though she experienced a lot of discrimination in her life and in her career in schooling, she didn't really have a strong understanding of the depth of the racial tensions and overall racism occurring as she did not have a deep connection to her father's side of the community and wasn't until she connected with her father that she started realizing it. And I, I've been there. I felt the same way growing up, not understanding, oh, this is not normal for everyone. Cool, 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 because <laughs> I'm brown. Got it. And at the age of 24, she learned his name, uh, Lawrence Anyanwu, 
and didn't meet him for another three months after she actually made contact through an acquaintance, uh, John Roberts, who was a barrister from Sierra Leone and the first black QC for England. Uh, when she did meet her father, he greeted her with a huge hug, uh, which she talked about how it helped her feel accepted. She fostered a really close relationship with her father and even traveled with him to Nigeria and met her family. And in 1976, she decided to change her surname, which she was named after her mother, to Anianwu in connection to the father. Um, and she stated, quote, it was something I needed to do to make my identity whole, and I haven't looked back since. Her Nigerian family had an immense impact in her life, including her cousin who was diagnosed with sickle cell anemia. And after attending a seminar with hematologist Dr. Misha Brozovic, who asked Anyanwu if she would be interested in working with her, she and Brozovic set up the Brent Sickle Cell and Thalassemia Information Screening and Counseling Center in 1979, which would become the model for 30 other centers. And for six years, she was the one and only sickle cell nurse specialist in Britain. During this time, and even now, the disease is not getting the funding or the representation to help with treatment. She said, quote, people in the NHS didn't see sickle cell as a significant public health issue. And I was told numerous times, oh, well, it only affects minorities. Right. And she continued uh, breaking barriers and taking on leadership roles in her life, including becoming a senior lecturer at the Institute of Child Health and University College of London. She was later appointed as the dean of the School of Adult Nursing Studies and a professor of nursing at University of West London. And it was here she created the Mary C. Cole Center for nursing practices at the University of London in 1998. Uh, And she stated she created this as a way to, quote, challenge the predominantly white Eurocentric focus of nursing recruitment, education, and research. And though she retired officially in 2007, she's not stopped working or advocating for others, including focusing on bringing awareness and sharing the accomplishments of Mary Seacole to light. And if you want to know more about Mary Seacole, who was made history as a nurse and a healer during the Crimean War, you should go take a listen to our episode with Ease on our Feminist First series because she brought us some great information and a good a lot of the controversy that happened based on racism against her and why she wasn't highlighted, but Florence Nightingale was. So you should definitely go check that out. Anyan Wu became the vice chair of the Mary Seacole Memorial Statue Appeal after it was denied. And eventually, after years of working, she was able to help unveil the statue in June 2016. And after that, she was appointed as life patron of the Mary Seacole Trust. To say she has made a huge impact in the UK seems like an understatement. And her awards and honors reflect the impact that she had. And though she was, as she said, embarrassed uh, of the attention she was getting for her work, she was appointed Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire. And of course, so many other accolades, including the Pride of Britain Lifetime Achievement Award, being inducted to the Nursing Times Nursing Hall of Fame, honorary doctorates from the University of St. Andrews and Birmingham City University, BBC's 100 Women in 2020, so many more. On top of that, she is a critically acclaimed author, um, has published many articles and papers and books, including her memoirs, Mixed Blessings from Cambridge Union. Right. She has done a lot. And of course, again, people who in this industry and probably people in the UK know who she is and know how hard she fights. And as in fact, uh, when she was actually appointed as Dame uh, Commander, apparently she was 
There are several versions of this, and I had to look this up, which she was originally uh, appointed in like 1998 as CBE, which is just the commander of the British Empire. But she didn't want to originally take it just because of the implications of the word empire. And we've talked yeah. about that before and about a lot of the colonial empirical ideas and what that means for those who are of color, especially the black community. So there was a lot of things that she talked about as uh, feeling mm-hmm. like whether or not she, this is something she wanted to be a part of. But she definitely deserves any and all the accolades for sure. And especially being someone who pushed forward Mm -hmm. in all of the harshness and all of the things that she survived and being who she is and being an advocate for herself and for others around her. So definitely a beautiful thing to see. And man, she sounds intimidating. Yes. Yes, she does. But in the best way. Listeners, if you would like to contact us, we promise we're not intimidating. We're the opposite, in fact. It's true. <laughs> Very obviously. <laughs> um, unless you're intimidated by intense nerd knowledge. And not because I know more, but just because I won't stop. Uh, you can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I've never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.